Good morning. Today's scripture reading comes from the book of Matthew, chapter 6, verses 16 to 24. Book of Matthew, chapter 6, verses 16 to 24. Please stand with me as we read God's word. Hear now the word of the Lord. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye of the lamp of the body, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, and your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. That's the word of the Lord. Good morning, everybody. It's good to see you, and welcome uh, to our service. I just want to, before we go on, explain a little bit more about the Sursum Corda that Pastor Paul uh, started with. We want to do the Sursum Corda. It literally means lift up your hearts to the Lord. And so when we gather together in faith, we honestly believe that we are lifted into the presence of God. That's the Shursum Korda. This is what we see in the Psalms. We see that when we pray, like, God, bring us to your presence. Bring us to where you are. And one powerful story that I have told time and time again about the Shursum Korda is when a pastor, his wife passed away. And immediately going after the, to the funeral, he ran to the church service. And they asked him, why did you run to the church service? You know, don't you need to spend time mourning for your wife in, her fu- in the funeral? Is it because of some kind of hypocrisy or some kind of, you know, uh, legalism, Pharisee, Pharisee-like behavior? And he said, no, he believes in the Sursum Corda. And when he came to gather together with the saints to give God worship, he believed that all the saints are gathered. And so he wanted to worship with his wife. And so this is a powerful statement that we say in faith. When we worship together, it's not just us here. We're saying we worship with the entire witness of who God has called to be his people. So it's not just us here right now, but all the people that are gathered on Sunday that we worship God with. And this is what we do in faith. This is why this is such a powerful moment. When we gather, we do it in reverence. We do it in awe. We're not calling down God's spirit, saying, God, come down to us. We are saying God is lifting us up to him. And that's a powerful statement. And that's a powerful faith. And I want us to remember that when we gather, this is why we come with reverence and awe in the gathering. So that's the Sursum Korda. Uh... Before I start um, the message today, we're going through Matthew. Let's, let's pray one more time. Lord, we recognize that it is you that gathers your people unto yourself. And we are totally blown away by that kind of love and mercy, that undeserved grace. 
And now we ask that you would open our ears so that we can hear as your word is open to us. In Jesus' name, amen. I have uh, three points today, fasting, lasting, and serving. Fasting, lasting, and serving. And I mentioned that sometimes I believe that God gives me trials uh, because he wants me to, I don't know, relate to you, eh, whatever it is. But uh, I always wondered um, if I was just simply saying that as a joke and then it's offensive to some because some of you are more in the, on the sensitive side. But um, this week was a little interesting. So I wanted to share a little bit about that and just uh, it, it's, it, it's interesting. I don't believe in coincidence. I don't know if you do. Especially if something happens once, I think about it, it happens twice, you're like, what? And if it happens three times, then you're like, whoa. And so I was humbled uh, this past week. And some of you are already like, yeah, you know, humble him, you know. But uh, I don't think that's really a good attitude to have, I'll be honest. But um, we want him groveling on the floor, you know. But uh, yeah, I, I kind of pride myself in certain things. I'm not good in everything. I don't think I'm good in everything. But some of the things that I feel like I am pretty decent in is driving. I do think I'm a decent driver. Um, my dad taught me ever since I was young. And he would, when I first got behind the wheel, he told me the car is like your body. And so you got to think of it as an extension of yourself in Korean. I don't know exactly how to say it now. This is, I remember everything that I learned in Korean in English, in my memories in English. So he's like an extension of your body. So it really was, as I grew up, the car is like the extension of my body. So if I, I kind of, you know, move a little, put the pedal on too hard and you jerk a little, like I would feel that. And if I broke too hard and everybody's like, oh, you know, there are drivers like that. But, you know, you know how you guys break, right? People just depress the brake. But what you do is you press the brake hard enough, but at the very end you let go a little bit and then you finish off. It's a, it's a finesse maneuver. And that way people don't jerk, jerk like this. So you, and then, oh, and then you kind of ease into the stop. So I, I am that kind of person. Um, <clears throat> sorry, it's take, but this past week I hit my car on a parked car. That was very humbling. <laughs> so this garbage truck was coming the other way and I said, oh, I need to finagle and move out of the way, otherwise this garbage truck is gonna hit me. I'm not sure if the garbage truck did that on purpose, but uh, that's between him and God, I suppose. And God has my back. And so I finagled and then I guess I moved a little too much and I scraped the car side. It's very little, but you know how, even if it's a very small scrape, it's a long scrape. So about five panels in my car got scratched and dented. And each panel, if you think, it's a few hundred dollars to undent and paint times five. And so I was just very confused. So I'm the guy, this is before I was a pastor, not that it mattered. I was still a Christian. It was still a Christian. But um, when, when, somebody, when people would cut me off, I'd get so mad. Like road rage is my past. So, so one guy, I remember in, in Queens, one guy had to get off to this exit for the Grand Central Parkway. But he crossed four lanes and cut me off. And I had to brake so hard that my ABS went off. And I was so mad that he did that. I, I drifted my car 
it was a real wheel drive car. And I went this close to him and then I went like this, right? <laughs> like I could, I could control my car to that degree in, in anger. And then yet a garbage truck comes and I'm hitting. And I, I told one of the elders that, I think he's, he mentioned that it's because I'm old. Hey, but it, it is what it is. And I was like, oh my goodness, um, what's going on? And then this is, this is the next day. Uh, I you remember when I was preaching about pizza? So some of, some, I don't know who it is, some of you saved that pizza for me, which I really appreciate. I'm not, I'm not saying anything bad. I really appreciate that because throughout the week, I'm here, I don't have food sometimes, and I'll just heat up the Domino's pizza. And I, was, I heated up the Domino's pizza, I was eating, and my tooth broke. So, <laughs> so my tooth just broke. I, I started crunching on my tooth. I spit it out. It's like, oh, my tooth is broken. And then, yeah, my, the one of the elders in the church is because you're old. Uh, but... So I had to get, go to the emergency, uh, go to the dentist for an emergency. And um, they said, you know what? We just got to give you a whole new cap. And in fact, there's another tooth that's sticking out that's causing all this cavity. So we need to pull this tooth. And so right now, I'm toothless. Uh, I have a big hole in the upper palate of my mouth. And if you look, it's just like a black hole. So I, I'm, uh, yeah, I can't eat stuff. Um, and then this past Monday, um, I came back after visiting my in-laws and my parents, you know, Martin Luther King, you know, you got to do your duty, right? Uh, I visited them and then, uh, the boiler broke. So it, it was, that was the coldest day of the year, was it not? And so it was like seven degrees and the heater broke and my wife and I just slept in a, and I looked at the thermostat, it was about 40 something degrees. And we slept in that, and it was, we were freezing. I didn't know what to do. I've never shivered before physically, and it was that cold. Uh, so three things happened. And I was, I was just thinking about that, and I'm preaching on fasting. It's like, what's going on, right? Um, and, I, and when I started, I, I didn't tell many people all the stuff that happened. Maybe some of you know a few things, or one thing. But I kept it to myself. And I, what I started realizing was when I was talking to people, I talked to a brother here, and he goes, oh, my wife's tooth also broke. And I was like, oh, that's really interesting. Uh, another person had a fender bender similar to mine, so we actually went to the same auto body shop to repair it. And so they went through it. And a brother here, his boiler broke, so he was in the cold too. And I was just thinking, wow, God really put me through all of this that everyone here is going through. And then I prayed, God, I'm not Jesus. I can't take the sins of the people here. So please, no, no, just Jesus is enough, right? But all joking aside, I realized something. And I realized with a deeper profoundness in my heart that God loves you. That God loves you so much. And I really recognize that. Even, even if it's something silly like what I just said. Um, I realize as I go through it, I don't like it, but I, it's an honor that if you go through a little something, that I can walk through it with you, even if it's a little difficult. Please don't pray that I go through everything you go through, but I am saying that some of, some of the things that we go through, we go through together, and it's a privilege to walk with you. Um, I could, so after they pulled my tooth 
the doctor looked at me and says, no lifting. And so he, and then he looked at me, he goes, not even jogging. So I can't, I couldn't uh, exercise or jog for the last three days. And then he said, you can't eat any hard foods because it might get stuck in that and then cause an infection. So I've been on soft foods too. And sometimes I think, oh, you know what? Jesus was also brought by the Spirit into the wilderness to fast. And through various circumstances, I'm in this place, and I'm called to fast. Interestingly enough, it's when it was in Matthew about fasting. And so, once again, I want to say I don't believe in coincidences, and I do, that, I do believe that because the Holy Spirit and God loves us, He brings us through these seasons, and He brings, it to, he brings us through it together which is amazing. Isn't it amazing that we could walk through it together? Imagine you were shivering in the cold by yourself. Imagine you're going through really something really tough by yourself. And I, I just want to say, some of you feel that way right now, that you're going through something and you're completely alone. Maybe God feels, but no one else does. And I want to tell you no, that God brought us together so we can share that burden together pray for each other, and walk through it together. He calls his church together as one body, and he is our head. And so I am in this, uh, not a voluntary fast, but a forced fast to a certain degree. And so we're going to these verses about fasting. And Jesus himself says, when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head, wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Fasting comes up 77 times in the Bible, and if you talk about all the inferences of fasting, you'll see at least 100 verses that's indirectly referencing fasting. It's such an important discipline in the Old and New Testament. The question I have for you is this. Isn't it an important discipline for you? Is it an important discipline for you. It was indeed so prevalent among God's people, Old and New Testament, that it was common to fast. But here's something that I have heard and you may have heard in recent days. If you are a Christian, you are not obligated or commanded to fast. And I want to tell you what that means. Fasting doesn't earn you your salvation. Okay? Fasting doesn't make you a Christian. Fasting doesn't give you more favor or a quick answer to prayer. God isn't obligated to answer just because you fast. But here's what it doesn't mean. Since you're not obligated to fast, there's no reason to fast or that you shouldn't fast. In fact, there is not one place in the Bible where it says you shouldn't fast. There are places in the Bible where God says your fasts are wrong, and this is how you should fast, but never does it explicitly say you shouldn't fast. But here we, say, we see that God rewards the right kind of fasting. So what's the right kind of fasting? 
So I'm going to do a little bit of Bible research. I hope that you are paying attention and that you see this is relevant to you. Number one, we see repentance. I call this deep distress, deep distress. Nehemiah, when he saw that his city was broken down and his people were in shame, he was in deep distress and he fasted and prayed. Daniel chapter 9. When Daniel saw that his people, because of sin, were shamed and they were exiled and they did not have the Lord with them, it says in Daniel chapter 9, verse 3, I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. And both were because of the plight of God's people. I want you to take something out from this. And I want you to hear very clearly. Godly people fast and pray when the church is in trouble. When the church is in trouble, godly people fast and pray. Evil people complain and bicker, but godly people fast and they pray. Number two, intercessory prayer. I said number one is repentance. Number two is intercessory prayer. I call this deep distress number two. We see David and fasting, David fasting and praying when his child was sick. Esther, Queen Esther, urged Mordecai and all the Jews to fast as she planned to appear before her husband and the king. There is something crazy that's going on, and we need to fast. There is a great trial that is coming up, and that's where the urge to fast goes to. That's why I call it deep distress too. And number three, it was a part of your daily worship life. There was a prophetess named Anna in Luke chapter 2. And it says in Luke chapter 2 that she was widowed very young when her husband uh, was seven years, of seven years died. She was a widow until she was 84. And then so she didn't depart from the temple and she worshiped. And it says here in Luke chapter 2, with fasting and prayer night and day. So it's a part also of your daily worship life. Number four, worship, but also seeking his favor. Ezra proclaimed the fast for all the people to do because they might humble themselves and ask for safe journey because they were going to this place. And so Ezra asked that all the people fast uh, before a big decision, a big move. Um, this is also in the New Testament, Acts chapter 3. Before they sent Paul and Barnabas out in Acts chapter 13, they fasted and prayed. However, in Acts chapter 14, they also fasted and prayed as they appointed elders. When they appointed elders, the church got together and they fasted and prayed. So number four is also worship and seeking his favor. However, Number five is a final one. There's so many, guys. The spiritual discipline of fasting is so broad. And this is why you have that little note thing so that you don't get lost. And the fifth, the fifth thing that I see, the big thing, is a prayer. prayer is a spiritual weapon. It's a, a spiritual weapon because we're in a spiritual battle. And fasting gives our prayer resolve. Fasting gives our prayer resolve. In Mark chapter 9, when there was a demon-possessed boy and the disciples couldn't cast it out, 
they came to Jesus, and Jesus cast it out and says, this can only come out by fasting and prayer. So prayer is a spiritual weapon, and fasting gives prayer resolve. If you're going through some kind of spiritual battle, don't fall asleep. Fast and pray. And so there are the five kinds, the five reasons or times that we can see in the Bible for fasting. And what kinds of fasts are there? Uh, there's the traditional fast, which is kind of what I'm going through, right? No, no solid foods. There's a, you guys might be familiar, there's a Daniel fast, when Daniel refrained from certain kinds of foods, so he didn't eat like meat, but he would eat vegetables. And then there's a full fast. The full fast is no water or food. If you decide to do that one, please let me know, because you should not do that for long. No more than three days ever recorded in the Bible. Paul, Apostle Paul did it when he saw Jesus and then boom, there were scales on his eyes and he said he ate and drank nothing for three days. And Esther, when Queen Esther called her people to fast because they were about to be annihilated, genocide was about to be committed, she said, don't eat or drink for three days on my behalf as I meet the king. And so there's that full fast. And then there's also a sexual fast that we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. First, uh, Paul tells the Corinthians, you know, the husband, your body is not your own. You need to give it to your wife. And then tells the wife, your body is not your own. You need to give it to your husband. But there will be a time, he says, where you would abstain completely so that you can devote yourselves, both of you, in prayer. So there's that. Uh, there's a famous actor by the name of Terry Crews, and he did 90 days of this fast with his wife. And so he wanted to love her. And Hollywood was a very difficult place, especially if you're a committed Christian, to be faithful, to keep your eyes on God. So he did a 90-day fast with his wife. And that meant he took her out, had dinner, talked for hours, wooed her, and then loved her. And so there, there is that kind of fast. Is there a common thread in everything that I've spoken about just now? Is there a common thread, a thread that pulls everything together? Yes. What is fasting? It is a spiritual discipline. Fasting is a spiritual discipline just like giving. We saw here giving and prayer. Righteous giving, righteous prayer, there is a righteous fasting. There is a spiritual discipline aspect to this. And in fact, fasting should, if done rightly, encompass these two. Fasting should encompass giving, and fasting should encompass prayer. These three, three things were brought together for a reason, not just random happenstance. It wasn't just, oh, whoops, I guess it's just you know a coincidence. It wasn't. Jesus did it on purpose. And so when you think of spiritual discipline, what do you think of? Especially when it comes to a fast. When you have an event coming up, let's say it's a physical event. Uh, let's say you have to run the marathon. Then you train. That training is an intense period of training. That's like fasting. So when there's a spiritual event coming up, then you know you need to train. Then you would fast. And yes, you can fast for others. We saw that there was an intercessory kind of prayer and fast. So when we set up an elder, an elder of the church is incredibly important. 
If you don't like your elder, that's a big deal. Because the elder is your head of the church, is the head of this church, is supposed to lead the church. So that's why they took it seriously. Like I said, there are two ways you can handle it. You can either bicker, or you can complain, or you can fast and you can pray. One an evil person does, and one a godly person does. And so you can fast for others. But when we look in the Bible, there is joy in fasting, in joy they got together because God was leading them through the wilderness and every time God would lead his church or his people, it would be because God was bringing him closer, bringing them closer to him. It was to a place of worship in Exodus. It was to build the church and spread the gospel throughout the world. So when you fasted, you fasted for joy. You fasted through joy, and you fasted in joy. That's why John Piper writes in A Hunger for God, God rewards fasting because fasting expresses the cry of the heart that nothing on the earth can satisfy our souls besides God. This is an exclamation that in my fast, I want to say and focus my whole being. I discipline my body. I discipline my spirit to say, I need God, when's the last time you fasted? And I don't mean dieted. Intermittent fasting is not the fast that Bible talks about. Caloric deficits or eating less carbs are a diet, not a fast. And if you haven't fasted, I have to ask, why not? Do none of these things apply to you? Are you better than any of these disciplines? or the reason to have this discipline? Jesus goes on to say, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and when thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Okay, we talked about fasting. What does it have to do anything with rewards? Why are we talking about rewards? Isn't the ultimate reward Jesus? Okay, if you grew up in church, that's what you might say. Isn't the ultimate reward Jesus? Yes, it is. But we often think we should only follow Jesus because of his inherent worth. And to seek a reward from him is inherently wrong. That's not right. Christ's inherent goodness and beauty is good enough and should be good enough to motivate you. However, the Bible shows us it's not improper to look for blessings. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, it says, God is pleased when we believe that he rewards those who seek him. In fact, Jesus himself later on, we'll get to Matthew chapter 19, but in Matthew chapter 19, he says, everyone who has left house or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. It's implicit in the passage that you should serve Jesus in hopes for a reward. And the things that you do on earth will either earn you a reward here on earth and or it will reward, reward you in heaven. He is saying 
that there is a natural law that God has. And when you do something, there's an effect. The Lord shows us that he rewards those that serve and obey him. And this is, by the way, this is only possible because God gives you a new heart. God gives you a new heart and you are born again by the Holy Spirit. And that's why it's okay to expect and receive good gifts from your heavenly father if you are indeed his child. If you love somebody and you give something to somebody you love, it's because you love them. How much does the father love his children? How much did my mom love me? I know it's not it's a finite comparison, but when I would really want something, I would ask. And recently, uh, Chunzak mentioned it, but when I really wanted, I would crave want something from, uh, from my mom. I would say, oh, you know what? I'm going to have this uh, deacon retreat or a leader's retreat, and I want to do it at the house. They live upstate, and it's so far, it's like you're going to retreat. But um, <clears throat> I asked my mom, can you make us rice pudding? And I love my mom's rice pudding. Um, it's different because it's uh, Asian rice, so the rice pudding tastes amazing. But uh, I asked her to make it for the people that were, and then she would. She would. She would make it, and then we'd have lunch. She'd prepare lunch, and then we'd eat the rice pudding for dessert. And I love that rice pudding. I crave it often. Um, imagine the rice pudding was right here, and I'm looking at it. I was like, oh, rice pudding. And I make songs about rice pudding. Rice pudding, you're so good. Right? And I make songs and I just look at it all day. How foolish would that be? So is it foolish that I worship rewards? Of course it's foolish. I wouldn't worship the rice pudding. But when I enjoy and ask for the rice pudding, who am I really appreciating and liking and loving and what, wow, this relationship is getting built. Isn't it my mom who gave me the rice pudding? So when we look at rewards, it is tied in. It's not saying, I don't need anything. I don't need anything. I just need this water and I'm good, God. But God loves his children and he bestows rewards on them. And when we see the rewards, we don't worship the rewards, but we worship God, saying, God, you're amazing. Thank you so much for this rice pudding, right? And so this is what it means. I'm not saying worship the reward, but we can ask for rice pudding because it's good, but we ask for it because it comes from a person that loves us and we would like some and it's not a bad thing to like. And so when we do things, we do things looking at the Father, asking for the things that we need and that's where we go to serving says here, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light is in you, in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for he will either hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. What is that about? Why is that even here in the reward section? What about the eye and the lamp is causing Jesus 
to put that in this passage about rewards. And this is why every single sentence, I don't want you to ever lose sight. Don't lose focus. Pay attention. Every single word that comes from the mouth of the Lord is important because this is what it means. The eye is a lamp of the body. So if the eye is healthy, and then you might be thinking, what do you mean eye? Do we have like an eyeball? What's going on? If your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. Why is my body full of light? Isn't the eye that sees what, and so you're, you might be confused, but this is what we need to see. When Jesus goes, the eye is the lamp of the body, the lamp does two things. Two things. Let's say this was a lamp <clears throat> in olden days, and lamp, you light it up, it's a fire, and it's dark outside. What do I do with the lamp? I do this, I do this. And what does the lamp do? It lights the way in front of me so that I can walk and I won't trip and I won't stumble, right? The light does that. However, what the light also does, it shines light on my body. Why is that important? What if it's a really muddy hill that I have to traverse with with the lamp? And then, oh, oh, I stumble and I hit a rock. That lamp will shine light to my body to see where I scrape myself. And if that lamp is not light and it's darkness, then I can't even see where I'm going. This doesn't do anything. And when I fall and I trip and hurt myself, I feel like, I think I'm bleeding. I feel something, but I don't even see the extent or how bad it is. If your lamp is bad, not only can't you see where you're going, you can't even see yourself. And the darker it is, you can't even tell how much you're bleeding when you fall and scrape yourself. Why does Jesus say this? It brings us back to the psalmist when the psalmist in Psalm 119, excuse me, 105 says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Don't you see what Jesus is saying? Where you keep your eyes reflects who your master is. You cannot serve. The word serve here is actually a reference to a slave. You can have two employers. Maybe maybe you could have two jobs, but you cannot have two masters. You will either serve God or money. The actual Greek word here is mammon. Mammon is a reference to money and possessions. You cannot serve God and continue to only look at the rice pudding. You cannot serve God and mammon. Where are you keeping your eyes? You can say one thing. You can say, ah, it's this, 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 this. But is it reflected? Is it reflected in your giving Is it reflected in your praying? And is it reflected in your fasting? Where are you keeping your eyes? Wake up! Are you showing generosity and giving giving sacrificially as a single person, as a family? Or are you only thinking about yourselves? Are you praying together with your brothers and sisters? Because Jesus taught us, when he taught us how to pray, didn't he say, our Father? You can't pray that alone. Our Father who is in heaven. Are you only thinking about food and you can't give anything up? If that's the case, then I want you to start now by praying the way the Lord taught us to pray. Pray the Lord's Prayer together as a family. Get groups together. Pray together. Start giving to each other and start fasting for each other, 
Are you fasting? Are you fasting? Do you really believe that a rough time is coming? You know, let's just imagine, let's say, I'll just give an example. Let's say you hit your car, broke your tooth, and your heater boiler broke. Let's say this happens. How are you going to respond? Are you going to respond with bitterness and bickering? Or are you going to respond with generosity, with prayer, and with fasting? Is fasting a joy and a regular part of your walk with Christ? Are you doing these things looking forward to the reward God has for you? This is what Jesus is teaching us. We cannot enjoy the rice pudding but not the giver. We enjoy it with the giver. If my mom wasn't there, that rice pudding would mean nothing to me. Nothing. And so when she's there, it's a joy to receive it from her. John Calvin writes this, God gladdens his people so that the small portion of good, listen, so that the small portion of good, that's how God gladdens his people, which they enjoy, is more highly valued by them and far sweeter than if out of Christ they enjoyed an unlimited abundance of good things. That's why even in little, we can have joy because we can do it together with God. And this is what marriage, and I hope that you come to this marriage seminar, and, and don't make any excuses. Sacrifice your time. Sacrifice, because this is six weeks, just sacrifice. Fast, pray if you have to. Give your time, just come. But this is where marriage points to God. Because what is your vow when you get married? And it doesn't, you don't have to be married to know this vow. This vow points to God. It's for better or for worse, in plenty or in want. But it never says joyless, does it? That means even in want, even if I don't have much, even if I just have this bottle of water, enjoying it with my wife is so much better than if I had all the water in the world and I was alone. That's what, that's what it's pointing us to. God gives us generously, yes, but it's so much better if I had anything I wanted, everything that I wanted, but God wasn't there. And God's saying, I want to give you everything, but I want to be that giver. I want to show you it's enjoyable because of me. And he calls us to be his people because of the good news of the kingdom, because of what Jesus Christ has done, the salvation that he offered us through his death and resurrection, food indeed tastes better. Desserts are sweeter. Drinks are more refreshing. And not only do we get to do this in the presence of God when we break bread and drink the cup, but it's when we have fellowship together with his body. I'm going to challenge you one more time, church. If there is a difficult season that you're going through, I empathize with you. I want to pray with you. I want to fast for you, but we do it together. You share that with me, and you also do the same. And God will reward us. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this time. 
We thank you for showing us in your word what a good father you are. And that even though we enjoy the rewards that you give us, that our delight and our joy is in you. And we thank you for that, O oh God, for showing us what a good father you truly are. We want to reflect that in our lives. We want to reflect that in our giving. We want to reflect that in our prayer. And most of all, we want to reflect that as we fast. So Lord, be with your church. Be with your people now. Let's take time to reflect and pray. And what is God and his Holy Spirit convicting you to do now in reflection of the scripture that was read to you today? How are you to devote yourself to him? And how are you to give yourself to him in generosity and prayer and in fasting? Let the Holy Spirit move your heart, and as he moves your heart, lift up your hearts in prayer. Let's pray.